0: welcome back to Climate Conversations with Irish Doctors for the Environment. My name is Sean Owens. And I'm Callum Swift. And today we are in County Galway to meet Kenneth Keevey of Green Earth Organics. And why are we here? Well, The global food system accounts for approximately 25% of all global emissions. It's a leading driver of biodiversity and habitat loss a leading contributor for air and water pollution and waste. And we've seen through not just COVID, but Brexit and the beast from the East, that empty supermarket shelves are not so uncommon anymore. We've come to understand that the global food system is in fact incredibly precarious. And in future years, food security will become a much bigger issue. We've also seen that the stakeholders in the global food system share those profits disproportionately. Thinking especially of COVID time meatpackers in the Midwest who had disproportionate rates of uh, COVID mortality and morbidity. So it's really refreshing to come to a few small fields in rural County Galway to see how Kenneth is not only uh, feeding tables all across Ireland, but also employing 40 local people uh, just off these uh, small plot of land. Kenneth, the sun came out for us today uh, on another day, I believe we might not have been so lucky, but uh, the fire is beautiful. And thank you so much for inviting us over to see what you do. Thanks, thanks for, thanks for coming down. really appreciate it, it's it's, it's great. Great to see you guys. And Sean's here as well. Uh, Yeah, from, um, well, I came from uh, just outside Dundalk today, got the train down and then a spin over from Dublin. Um, uh, Kenneth, I work as a GP, uh, just outside Dundalk, uh, but I know you from your weekly um, veg box deliveries, <laughs> so I suppose that's that's why I've come over today is to see where my veg comes from. But um, why don't you start off and tell us like how come you're here just outside Galway? How did you come to be uh, Green Earth Organics?
1: Yeah, so it's it's kind of a, a bit of a story, I suppose. But um, like so, my background is um, in the pharmaceutical industry, and I spent many many years working with uh, big pharma and small pharma and biotech and. trained as a chemist you know research scientist and stuff like that so kind of seeing the inside of what chemicals can do and just didn't really feel that you know they have any kind of place on our food you know that sort of way so and then it was kind of over there working and felt a bit disgruntled was in the uk and stuff and um you know uh, my dad had his farm here and it was his dad's farm and he was thinking of selling it he wanted to know what to do with it so um, it just kind of seemed like the time was right to take a break and change direction. Uh, myself and Jenny, we quit our jobs. We moved to back to Galway. We started growing vegetables and that's how we ended up here. <laughs> Madly so. And we were right. categorized as insane by many, giving up two good jobs and that sort of stuff. But you know, we, you know it, was, it was an easy time for us too. We had no kids and no, no responsibilities. So we felt we could just do it, you know, and we did it.
0: Where, we where, where, when was that? that?
1: That was uh, two thousand and four, I think. So um, yeah, so I came over and it was kind of yeah. So just kind of started learning about growing vegetables, but how to do it, but what to do, what people would eat, what people wanted. Not necessarily the same thing. What you can grow, and what people want, you know. But um, so learn bit by bit, and just kind of the business grew from there. The farm grew from there, grew organically, no pun intended, or whatever. And um, and yeah, so we're we're here today now. We have a bigger farm. Quite a few people working here and uh, here we're supplying uh, basically lots of veg to lots of people all over the country
0: so. and just for anyone you know is just listening now, it doesn't know what green earth organics is um why is this farm a little bit different than the standard farm in ireland for example now
1: Oh, okay so so I mean so we we grow we grow vegetables which is number one and many many veg, many many farms don't do that and it's a, a bit of a struggle for a lot of farmers in that area at the moment Um, so that's that's one major difference I guess we embrace so many different uh, you know sustainable measures here on our farm from you know um, we've got a lot of um, native hedgerows we planted a lot of trees we've got bees we've got, you know, we, we look at the, the, the life within the soil. It's not, we don't obviously use chemicals and we don't use artificial fertilizer. So it's a natural approach to producing food. And the idea being that, you know, we can produce food and we can take care of the land and we can do it all and do it right. You know, and, and everything benefits the biodiversity benefits, the birds benefit, we benefit, we get healthier food and it's just all good. And it tastes better as well, you know, so. That's, I think, why we're a little bit different too. You know? So,
2: it's it's interesting that I mean that just sounds ideal, um, and it's a shame that that's the outlier, not the norm for farming practices. Uh, what made you pick um, vegetables over uh, tillage or dairy or?
0: Uh,
1: yeah. So. Um Thanks, Calum. Yeah, it's it's I suppose vegetables always kinda of had to be because I um, was never going to be meat, it was just never going to be meat for me. That's not my my thing or or dairy or, or anything like that. I just thought vegetables, you know, why not? That's 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 what I what just I, what, I, what, I, what, I, what I wanted to do and I guess my history as a young lad as well, my dad, we would have been out in the garden all the time, always growing vegetables. You know, everybody back then had their own little garden. To an extent people were that bit more self sufficient and knew where their food came from. So I guess there's a bit of that. And plus, there's a, there's a gene inside me somewhere. And both of you being doctors, you know, I, I don't know. I think it's, it's real, you know, like my great, great granddad was the head gardener of the castle here, my great, great grandfather was, and my granddad was. So there's a lot of a history there of the old green thumbs and things. So I think there was something inside that just drove me down that line. And plus, I suppose um, a big driver as well was just the benefit of growing vegetables over doing anything else from a kind of a sustainability or a carbon emissions point of view. So that's kind of why I got into it, you know.
0: But um, you know, what you're describing, what you do kind of sounds like I'm reading uh, like an EU policy document about what we <laughs> want the future to be. So I presume there's lots of um, help for you know farmers like you to to do what you're doing, like farming in a way that's uh, you know consistent with land and, and biodiversity and such.
1: Well. I suppose, Sean, there's, there's, there's there, there are supports there, you know, and I think it's getting better now. So there are supports for um, people who are getting into organic horticulture, small scale um, as well, because a lot of people that get into this, you know, it's, it's very, you need quite an investment to make it work on a commercial scale. And we're a commercial organic farm now. We've gone from the market garden aspect to trying to grow food for a lot of people and a lot of families. And to do that, you need a serious bit of investment. So is there support there to support that level of transition? No, there isn't, you mm. know. um, And at the beginning, there was very little support, really, to be honest about it. So our supports came from, say, my father and my father in law. And, you know, they, they lent us money, but banks wouldn't because he couldn't get a loan. And there's all those challenges. So it's very difficult for somebody to get into this sort of industry if you don't have land or capital behind you and the supports that are there just aren't adequate to um to allow the, de- the sector to develop from a grassroots level. You're either very, very small scale or, you, you know, just, it's just hard to make that step, you know. So there isn't, I think there's a lot more that could be done and there's a lot more that could encourage normal farmers to transition as well, such as, you know, what we've done here, like putting solar panels on sheds and stuff like that. It just seems that there's not quite the cohesive, joined up thinking that's necessary to make these things work. And it, it doesn't have to be complicated, you know, it can work. So,
2: what strikes me is the conversation in the media and online about Irish farming. The archetypical Irish farmer is never portrayed as a vegetable farmer. It's always a dairy farmer or a beef farmer. And actually, seventy one percent of Irish land is covered is agricultural, and ninety two percent of that is for ruminant meat and dairy. So, do you think that is a cultural thing, or is that policy related? Is that because of subsidy regimens? Uh, in favour of, of meat and dairy, or is that a cultural thing in Irish farmers?
1: Well, it's, it's a great, great question. And it's complex and it's never black and white, I think. And I think there's a, a big cultural aspect to that. There definitely is. However, at the very same time, there was a huge cultural aspect to growing vegetables or sugar beet, and that was just sidelined. And that's where your policy came in and your, you know, your supports came in and they drove the agricultural sector into a certain direction. And that direction was down the the beef and dairy route, you know, so we've got beef and we've dairy and we've exports and we've powdered milk and off to China and all this is real. You know, there's a farmer down the road there. He's a big... um Flock of cattle, or whatever you call it, and it's not flock, that's, that's <laughs> probably <the> right a <laughs> <laughs> cattle that's very bad. What <laughs> <laughs> kind of a, definitely a vegetable <laughs> farmer, and all of yeah. you, but you know, a, a lot of his milk is going to a dairy that's condensing it and sending it to China, and that's mad. So, it's definitely, um, definitely policy driven at this moment. And I remember being quite a few years ago, being at a rural development meeting, and um, there was a Chagas advisor or a Department of Agriculture. Um, manager there and everybody else was like intensification big farms consolidation etc etc and and this one man stood up and I'll always remember it because he was kind of going right against the tide of what everybody else was saying he was saying you know well, what what was wrong with the whole idea of you know, a family farm that could support a family because they were getting the right prices for their food and there was just silence in the room, you know, because we're moving away from that. But really, that's the way it used to be and it wasn't easy and it was it was, it was a step above subsistence farming but, you know, it kind of worked on some level and it, it allowed, you know, development of a com- community and healthy food and just a whole different way of, of, of producing our food and that's gone now and that's mm-hmm. that's totally policy-driven, like you know.
2: And how do we bring that back? I guess that's what you are pioneering—is—is is this concept of growing food and delivering it straight to the consumer without a massive supply chain middleman?
1: Yeah, it's again, it's it's it seems like it's gonna be such a, such a simple thing to do. And it was just last Friday, I had a couple of guys here. Um, uh, we were talking about the um, the uh, you know the pressure that big retailers put on growers or suppliers for, and I was just chatting to you guys about it earlier about price pressures, and if that's always the case, you're never going to be able to change the industry and it you know, it's, 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 it's essentially collapsing in on itself. So, I mean, there either has to be some sort of uh, support put in to support the industry from the bottom up, or there has to be some, something done around the whole pricing situation. Because supermarkets have an awful—they have all the power and they dictate how how things are going to be in our in our food chain,
0: you know. So you ever like me, I've got a busy day, I'm late, and I said I would do a shop on the way home. So, um, you know, Aldi's on the way or you know, Tesco, whatever. And the first time it's got this abundance of fruit and vegetables. So I'm doing good. I'm, I'm getting fruit and vegetables. My doctor told me to do absolutely. Absolutely. So I bought you know my weekly uh, fruit and veg from. Um, from the supermarket, and um, and you know maybe I have the means for a vegetable box, but it's just not convenient. Mm. How, how does that decision um, impact, you know, for example, food security? Here, or-
1: well, you see, I think you see, you, I suppose you've hit the nail exactly on the head. People are, are busy, and you know, people are under pressure, and we don't always have the time to really invest in. Well, is this right? Isn't it? Should I pay a little bit more? And and it's there, and it's the value seems really good, so. Why wouldn't you go for that? You're doing, you're making the right decision as a consumer to do that. What what other choice do you have actually? Because it's been engineered that that is going to be your choice. Yeah. You know, so, um, so you know the impact it has. I suppose. I mean, ultimately, I mean, if we're calling a spade a spade, it supports the system that basically is going to end up putting a lot of farmers out of business ultimately, okay. and okay. that's that's the the end of the line when you go right back down to it. But other than that, you're also looking at, you know, the idea that if it's cheap and if the food is cheap, there's a reason it's cheap. And why is it cheap? Is it because something's been done that isn't quite right for the soil or the environment or the planet or the person, whether it's chemicals or, the, you know, whatever it is, there's a reason. And somebody somewhere is paying the price for that. But it's very hard. You can't think about all of those things when you're in a supermarket. Yeah. And you're right, you're eating fruit and veg. So that's a big bonus, you know, to be just doing that in yeah. itself. What the solution is in that respect, well, that's where maybe if there was fairer pricing, you would be still in there buying the fruit and veg, but you might be paying a little bit more for it. Would that be a bad thing? Well, I suppose it just depends on what you buy in the next aisle, like, because you might go over there and, you know, it's just about where we kind of allocate our funds, you but know. Like whenever
0: we've got, you know, this biodiversity crisis or, um, you know, fuel hikes or um, we've been told for 10 years to, you know, vice cops live. it sounds like there is a bill to be paid maybe not right now but in the <laughs> next five ten years um it sounds like we kind of live in a circular economy anyway yeah no,
1: nobody wants to say it nobody wants to no politician is going to go in and say put the price of the food up because no consumer wants to hear that the reality is there's a big price to be paid and we're all going to pay it inevitably and it's not in the distant distant future it's it's closer than we think and we're already paying a price inadvertently in all the climate disasters that are happening Mm -hmm. and we're destroying the planet and food can have a massive role to play in sorting that problem out you know Mm -hmm. and would it be so bad if you had to pay 10 or 15 cents extra for your salary and that helped contribute to the change the positive change and maybe if that was communicated by supermarkets then of course that's the choice
0: you'd make but let me put it back to you now, right? I've been told that that's all well and good, but um, it's only Wexford and a wee bit of North Dublin that is capable of growing vegetables. And, and apparently two fields in Galway <laughs> um, nice. are capable of... And can, can Ireland do this? Can we produce our own fruit and vegetables?
1: Uh, absolutely. Of course we can. I mean, we used to do it. I mean, mm. this is... Do you go back 50 years? That was the way it was, you know? So did we? did we... Did we have to import? We didn't have the option of importing. There wasn't the infrastructure there to feed ourselves from taking stuff from outside and bringing it in. So we did do it. And how do we do it? If you go back to the you know what we were talking about earlier, the idea of a kind of a smaller, you know locally produced food on a kind of a mixed farm. Well, that's how it worked. Mm. And there was that excitement then as well at that time. Okay, it was tough, but there was the excitement of the new potato or the first peas or the first greens. And now we've just got this well, it's always available all the time irrespective of the cost to us or the planet or whatever you know strawberries from peru or whatever it is you know yeah. so did could we do it yes we could um i always like to use the example of the sugar beet industry which was um a big industry was big here in galway um it was the infrastructure was there the expertise the skill the ability to grow sugar beet okay so sugar you're not going to be advocating sugar now is? and that's fair enough but the point is i suppose that people could grow you could grow turnips, or you can grow something like akin to sugar beet, with the skill set that was there, and it was done on a scale that was working, and it was viable until, of course, all of the supports came in from other sugar for other sugar producers, and then that undercut the price, and
2: the industry fell away. You know, so so yeah, it's possible. Of course, it is absolutely. I think that that question about understanding the value of food and the external costs that we're not paying for uh you don't really appreciate that until you grow stuff yourself mm. and i've started growing stuff in my little garden in Capra in north dublin and have four raised bends i had two hens one of them died sadly last week so i've got okay. one hen now oh, yeah. it wasn't even a fox i'm not sure what happened but anyway um personal <laughs> tragedies aside it you realize it's amazing it's rewarding but it's it's a lot of effort and love has to go into growing vegetables and it really makes you think twice about paying. 30 cent for a massive bag of them and, and half of them going rotten in the bag because I think of how much effort it would take for me to produce the same amount um, and it, it seems absolutely nuts that we pay so little um, and you, you do have to wonder mm. how, how is it viable and where you know why are we paying so little for it.
1: Well, I think it's, it's a great point and I love that because you know the idea that if you're a grower yourself whether it be on a in a little window a pot on the on your own windowsill or in a garden, then you you start to understand a little bit of what's involved in, in growing food and what the value is, and just getting your hands dirty and getting them into the soil. It makes you have this a, just this change in mindset. So, and yeah, there's a, there's a fair bit of work involved in producing food, and you know if you go back and turn the peel back the layers a little bit, you'll always find that again there's a reason for the price there, and somebody somewhere is paying it, whether it be you know like close to slave labor conditions in southern Spain or whatever it is somebody somewhere you know you can't you just can't produce food that cheaply you know and that's the thing
2: and on the flip side of that coin you know the amount of your work you're putting into investing in your soil and your the bees and your insect life and bird life like none of that's rewarded in a in a monetary sense other than perhaps you know improving your yields but it's incredibly valuable to society and to the
1: land. Well, it, it is, and it's valuable. You're right, it's valuable to society. And, the, and But the land, and as a grower, it does actually reward us because, you know, just what we were chatting about again earlier about the point of the rotation, and that helps us reduce disease. And within the rotation, we have clover, and we were chatting about the swords, and that enhances fertility. So there's actually a bottom-line financial incentive to do that, you know. So any grower would be mad not to do it. And you even see a lot of the bigger conventional vegetable growers in ireland who are really really good at what they do and it's great that they're here and doing that and they're now incorporating a lot of the principles of organic production into their, um, into their, into their crop management, like using nets instead of sprays, or, 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 using the rotations and using clover, which is great to see. So there is a reward, and of course, then you've got all the all the additional rewards, more birds and bees, and carbon fixing into the ground, and all of that stuff, which is great,
2: you know. So what would be what are the kind of key concepts of organic farming and and vegetable farming that you adhere to in your farm?
1: So I suppose the first one is no chemicals, just no that's it we don't we're not going to use chemicals we don't use chemicals we don't want chemicals on our food and there's lots of good reasons for that you know I came at that from the perspective of chemicals will damage everything else that's live around here and I don't want to be responsible for killing bees or birds or whatever it is and they do and the proof is there despite what the big fire big um, agribusinesses will tell you so that's number one Uh, And tagged onto the end of that, I suppose, is the artificial fertilizers. We're not going to use those either, you know, and that's just their organic rules. Whether you wanted to or not, you can't, but on principle, we wouldn't anyway, you know. Um, Mm -hmm. But then there's all the additional stuff that, like, you like the hedge grows and the trees and all of that, and the bees. These are things that, you know, I like to have on the farm here. I just like that, you know, I like to see the trees growing and the hedge grows growing, and it just, you know, there's a lot of life around as a result of it. So mm-hmm. there are things you don't have to do, but we kind of do because it's the right thing to do, you know? So.
0: And so like, it, it's interesting, you know, you're talking about powdered milk going off to China. And <laughs> then there's, you know, strawberries coming from Peru. And um, it seems like the consumers got so distant from the food that they eat. Mm-hmm. You know, it's a, it's recipe or in many cases, it's uh, ultra processed, doesn't look like food anymore. Um, was part of your mission to try and bridge that gap by, you know, with the vegetable box every week, there's recipes in a blog. And sometimes it's just about how bad the tractor is this week. You know? <laughs> was part of your, was that part of the mission deliberate to say that I'm gonna bring yeah. people closer to where our vegetables come from? Uh,
1: yeah, uh, absolutely, um, Sean. So, I mean, <clears throat> the connection, and like what we were talking about earlier about the growing of the food, the connection with understanding of seeing you know what's happening with the food i think that um but well, i hope anyway that you know if people see that maybe they're they're going to start thinking a little bit differently about their food and, and not necessarily with us but with somebody or when they go into the supermarket that time maybe something will trick and they go all right maybe i won't go for that and i'll go for this and it, it maybe starts to rekindle us as an irish as a nation our kind of connection with the land it's a very strong connection mm. irish people have and it doesn't it isn't that many generations removed and so i think it's important i thought it was important as as our business from the very beginning to tell a story and it's great to tell a story because people can relate to stories so we're always telling stories and the stories about the farm and the challenges and the reality of food production and all the problems and issues and successes and good things that can happen too Mm. i think if people see that maybe they you know might just start to see well no maybe there is a bit of value in fresh food after all you know because we're fighting
0: t- constantly against devaluation of fresh food you know so I mean it's um it's refreshing to hear that and you know, even when you're talking about the generational story you're, you're not really advocating for reinventing the wheel it's about going back a couple of generations when things were smaller and more local and a bit more self-sufficient and you know, yeah it wasn't so big and distant and personal yeah absolutely and like there's a, there's a castle
1: around the corner and I suppose Craig Castle and so it was owned by an English family or whatever and they were you know they were very lucky they had a gardener and they had a wall garden and all that stuff but I suppose the principles of producing the food there for them and, and again a lot of the local peasantry like my granddad and stuff wouldn't have had access to the food they had but but it just showed you could grow the food here and they, you could grow a variety of food and, and and it worked. And yeah, so I mean I mean you have to think we we need to go back back towards that kind of a world
0: again where we can do that stuff. You know? and, and the similarity is with plot-based doctors are we're not asking people to go on some hectic, you know, a diet. It's actually just go back a couple of generations where if you did have meat, it was maybe at a special occasion or again, you don't know, could afford to, and it was actually a simple diet with a variety of uh, locally sourced um, um, uh, plant products and it actually chimes with the most up-to-date guidelines european society cardiology say explicitly uh, more plants less animal products they're not advocating for any exclusionary diet but just can you fill your plate with plants please you know absolutely absolutely and it is that and
1: like you say again use my grandfather as an example there um you know the meat was was a luxury and it was respected as such at the time when they could afford it, and it wasn't a given kind of as we've used the words ultra processed there and mass produced and you know factory farmed. And there's all of those aspects that are no good for the animals, it's not humane, and they're not good for us eating that food either. But you know, um, I think just putting a bit more value on, on the food we eat is, is got to be a good thing, you know.
2: And there's a joy I find too, going to going out to garden and. Taking two eggs and cooking them straight away, (laughs) and they taste delicious. Absolutely. And you don't have to go to the shop and buy them (laughs) because it's there and (laughs) cutting a few leaves of kale and a few leaves of lettuce to add to your omelette or whatever.
1: Absolutely. It feels so nice. (laughs) Yeah, but it's real, you know, it's kind of connected there and it's. And that's something we've had schools yeah. here, not in the last couple of years, but we used to have younger kids and they come out and some of the children have never, they don't like, I remember asking one class and they thought carrots came from a supermarket and they never pulled the carrots out of the ground and to see the amazement on their face and they're pulling the carrots out was just yeah. phenomenal, that connection and that's maybe as well, you know, the, the educational piece and long-term change and how do you change it, but kids these days generally are, are, you know, they they understand about plants and, and, and the environment much more than say, when we were going to school mm. maybe, you know, or yeah. mean, anyway.
2: And it does seem to be a bit of a revival. I went to a farmer's market in North Dublin in an industrial park in Glasnevin, and it's every Saturday and it was packed and it was a kind of buzzing atmosphere. It was really nice. And you compare that shopping experience to shopping in a supermarket that's a kind of solitary uh activity and actually everyone was standing around chatting and having cups of coffee and chatting to the vendors of all the different stalls and you might come away with a slightly higher bill for your groceries but i think you gained a huge amount of value from that
1: absolutely absolutely and sense of community there as well you know and that's very important you know and food and community were always so interlinked from eating at the table to producing the food to farmers markets it was always about the people
0: mixing you know so it was good So you you must know the other organic producers in ireland kind of like what what is the state of play you know as we have these looming carbon budgets i presume this it's in a good state of health um Um, you would you would think think so you would
1: think so you would think so absolutely um but um i think it's 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 again it's challenging because um there's demand certainly the pandemic has shown us there's been massive demand for local and, and healthy food i think it brought it to the top of the agenda where no amount of any sort of policies or anything could have done what what the pandemic did for did for local food production. And there hasn't been many good things that came out of the pandemic, but that maybe was one thing that was was good. Um, as regards uh, a lot of the other growers, I do I know a lot of growers. I know growers on a small scale who are attending farmers markets um, and that's going very well. I know bigger growers than than ourselves here who are supplying into supermarkets. And so that's not going so well because at the same time, you have the same pressures that the conventional growers are facing and they're being squeezed. And I know one, one grower um, that I was speaking to last week and two of his products have just been delisted from one of the bigger supermarkets. And that has a big impact on him, you know. So, um, so it's, it's, it's hard to say. You'd like to think it is. And like our, we feel very positive for the future of, of, of local food. And I think there's a very strong, um, idealistic bunch of people growing organic food in Ireland. Sometimes, you know, the organic sector in other countries can kind of get hijacked by big business as well. It hasn't really happened here. You know, it's still people who've started off with a central belief about doing something good. Uh, and then they discovered it's kind of hard, but you still keep the belief, you know. So I think it'll be good. And, and there's more, more uh, supports coming out. You asked about supports earlier in terms of... Um, depending on how much land you have in in under organic status, you get a certain level of support and that's just been increased recently. Mm. So that's a good thing. So they're
0: positive things, you know. And, you know, we have to have a reduction in our emissions by 50%, 51% in, in like eight years. Can we do it with business as usual, agriculture in Ireland? No, I mean, absolutely
1: not. Of course we can't. Whether you're trying to feed cows with seaweed, I'm sorry, but I just don't think that's going to, bias what we need to, you know, in terms of reduction, mm-hmm. we need a whole scale change in what we produce. You know, that's mm-hmm. ultimately it. We need my simple ideas, my ideas, we need trees, more trees, we need more solar panels, we need to be growing or producing different food. Mm-hmm. And if we keep going on the trajectory we're on, I don't think that we're going to end up meeting the targets or, or anywhere close to them. We can't, mm-hmm. we
2: can't with business as
1: usual, mm-hmm. This is not possible.
2: You hope for the new Common Agricultural Policy uh, subsidy regimens will change sufficiently to to promote uh, organic growing and vegetable and tillage farming Um, because at the moment it's just financially more viable to be in meat or dairy than it is to be in vegetables. Yeah. And a sure. lot of people are doing it by necessity rather than
1: yeah, and choice. You, and you have to empathize with the farmer who's in that system. There's no easy out for that person, you know. He's in there, he's invested, he's been told, he's been, you know, shown this road by our government advisors, and that's the road he's he's gone down. He can't just step away from that. That's very difficult. So that 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 um suggestion about changing cap, absolutely. I mean, there's so much money there, and money makes change happen. And if we change how we, you know. Uh, allocate that, that will that'll facilitate all the changes necessary, you know, because if you show the money, then change will happen. And that'll help that farmer move away from it or into rewilding or whatever it is. I think we should be getting back, you know, still be producing food, but you know, this just gives options and gives options that doesn't destroy his family home and business because, you know, through no fault of his own, that's the road he's on. Like. So I think that's, that's a very good point, right. absolutely.
2: We uh, as our structures for the environment, did a policy submission for the public consultation on the new cap policy it was fascinating reading about it, reading the amount of money, as you say, available. I think it was in the tune of eight billion for the next cycle of cap subsidies for Ireland alone, wow. um, which is a vast sum of money for farming. Absolutely. Um, and then the existing incentives and the potential new incentives and just things like um, this, you know, Payments for farmers to leave aside percentages of their land as non-productive areas high nature value areas By increasing the amounts there's a minimum requirement by legislating to increase that That would have hugely beneficial effects when spread across Ireland by paying farmers more You know, you can grow protein crops that can be fed to cows instead of relying on imports from abroad Dairy farmers and beef farmers can be paid to put some of their fields into legumes for cattle feed, and, yeah, yeah, you know, so as you say, it's, it's it's difficult for it to be a binary thing, but it's just multi-modal, lots of different approaches. Absolutely. Um, but mainly helping someone like you have a flourishing business and other people get into um vegetable farming rather than than beef farming.
1: Yeah, absolutely, and you know what? The funny thing is, you see a lot of young people who are you're know, going to inherit the family farm or whatever. We've seen a lot of people come through here and get trained. And they don't really want to go into um, meat farming or dairy farming. They want to. They they like the idea of growing vegetables and going to the farmers market, and that's 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 a positive thing, you know. And that's that's the young people bringing a new kind of approach to things, and maybe that could be encouraged a little bit more in our you know agricultural colleges as well, and seen as a viable enterprise, and then the supports there to support that, you know. So I think there's there's a lot that can be done. Definitely, I think I think that point was specifically
0: mentioned in the Farm to Fork strategy. It's you know organic is uh attractive to consumers but also the young farmers and um and it's an economic boon for local um local economies uh, so again uh, all small absolutely and and the
1: farmer is there he's buying you know it's just it's yeah it's about that sense of community and locality and just just everything everything is right about it you know it just makes sense so you does
2: yeah. even if something just makes sense it also it future proves you somewhat because I think one of the reasons, one of the big things that COVID showed us is the, the fragility of global supply chains. And I was chatting to a farmer recently who was railing against the massive increase in the price of fertilizer because mm. the price of gas has gone up and fossil fuels are used to make fertilizers. So suddenly his outgoings uh, uh, jumped up way beyond his control and it's threatening his business. So if you're not using fertilizers, you're investing in your soil and your lands, then the price of international Gas markets means nothing to you. It was just lovely. Yeah.
1: Yeah, yeah, absolutely, and 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 not only not only the, the COVID has shown us that, but and I can't remember was it after that conference in Dublin, the Beast from the East, that that happened before that conference. That was before. Yeah, so that was a, an, a you know an example there of a climate shock that changed everything, that emptied our supermarket shelves, but not only that, it disrupted uh, production of food. You know. And that's just a very one, one small example of what we've experienced here in Ireland. And, um, yeah, and we need to be aware of that and we need to be trying to insulate against those sorts of changes as well and do what we can. And critically, I suppose, taking care of your soil and planting trees, you know, gives you that little bit more of a buffer. It allows you to be a little bit more resilient to those kind of changes, which, again, is going to be more and more important, I think, as, as the years roll on.
0: Um, you no, know, it it's just funny that uh, the way you were talking about um you know you were out cycling and all you could see was cows and, uh, and dairy and, and the smell the slurry um when i have a four-year-old and a two-year-old and when they play farms and they love you know play farms it's get the farmer out and get the cows out you know they, they don't have a wee veg box that they don't tend to but it's funny on a friday now when the veg box comes it's huge excitement, you know, think <laughs> they, they c- cried around it. Yeah. So there's, you know, I think um, the psychology of how people think about food um, from kids up is uh, so important. And um, I think you're kind of changing the paradigm there, kind of, you know? Oh, well, that's very, thank you
2: for that. <laughs> I haven't subscribed yet, but I'm going to. Uh, and you, you were saying the boxes come with a recipe each time with, because obviously it's seasonal produce, and some of the challenge with that is is cooking with stuff you might not have cooked with before, yes. but you guys include a recipe.
0: Uh, Excuse me.
1: Excuse me. Um, Yeah, we're we're very lucky. We have um, a plant based chef who actually works with us now. And she she moved from she had a little restaurant over in England and then she moved to Ireland and now she's in Sweden. But she did all our recipes now and and it's all plant based stuff. So but one of the big emphasis is is on kind of unusual and local food and how to make it interesting. Because I think I said it at that conference that time you know we thought we were great growing loads of turnips but as it turns out people didn't want turnips so even though we could grow them nobody wanted them so now we're trying to figure out how to make that interesting for people it's easy at the moment we have things like purple sprouting broccoli as you lads just saw down there and you know that's kind of an unusual thing and it's very nice um and again she just helps with you know recipes around that and, and just how to make the food interesting and tasty because i suppose having been brought up in ireland too we were kind of overcooked our vegetables and the taste gone out of them, but there's so much more you can do with them. And mm-hmm. there's such versatility there, you know? And uh, so, yeah, there's, there's lots of options. Versatility
0: is important, but the, the variety is actually really important. And um, uh, probably one of the, uh, the outcomes from COVID were um, two studies, one showing that um, frontline healthcare workers had a more varied microbiome a, uh, from a plant-based diet. Uh, less COVID infections and less severity. Mm. Another one the Zoe study okay. in the UK showed okay. um, about half a million people who were self-reporting symptoms found that the more veg they had in their diet, um, they had either less incidence of COVID and if they did have COVID, they had less symptoms. But of course, most of the immune systems in the gut, and the magic number seems to be 30 different um, uh, variety of plant sources. So anyway, the the long short of it is because we get a veg box we're challenged to use you know a celeriac which we never used to pick up or um, you know or beetroot which we never used to pick up so the number of veg we have per week is now hitting that 30 mark and um, so it's not just good for the taste buds and challenging the culinary yeah. we know that um the microbiome, this new trendy part of health, yeah. uh, that just loves those different fiber sources. Okay, So good. there's a health uh, aspect to packing those <laughs> different. Uh, <laughs> well, that, that's very funny because,
1: uh, yeah, we're always kind of wondering, always juggling, like trying to go, oh my God, you know, we have to give people kale again this week because when you get into the winter season in RDG archive and you're going trying to keep a bit of variety, but, um, you know, you're just wondering if it's just too much, too much celeriac, too much kale, whatever. Um, but you're right. And I think one of the girls wrote about eat the rainbow once upon a time and you know how eating all the different colours is a great way to try and hit that all the different varieties, you know, and get a good selection. But uh yeah, yeah, it's good. That's good. That's good to hear. I'm glad well,
2: it, it's it's basically the more the better. It's uh, you know, is it traditionally five of a day, five a day but emerging research, is just the more fruit and veg you eat, the better and it is.
0: And, and more plants, you know, because we yeah. Irish people are quite good at eating uh, vegetables, um, but it's generally about three, <laughs> you <Yeah. laughs> know, <laughs> uh, the case the trees I take out. Uh, but we're not so good at the nuts, the seeds, we're not My very goodness. good at the goons, the, the lentils, and they're great substitutes and they're dead easy to cook. Um, um, so I think this the, the way of trying to increase that number of fiber sources is to set up your porridge with some you know nuts and seeds some nut butter some frozen berries whatever it might be whatever you have yeah. you know but um, a great way of getting that variety in there
2: i want to experiment i have part of the irish seed table's um member of theirs uh-huh. and their, their catalogue has, has some really interesting stuff like um quinoa different grains different oh, yeah. corns yeah um, i was reading recently a book by dan Barber, this mission star chef in new york and um, about his search for the best ingredients and the history of wheat and how that's been deflavored and uh, debased to this kind of flavorless powder and actually flour can be unbelievably tasty if you grind um different varieties of wheat so it's a whole kind of world of uh organically grown uh, legumes and, and pulses and Absolutely. things, which is available and probably untapped as well.
1: Absolutely. And yeah, there was a guy actually worked here, Enda, and he went off, one of the things he tried was to dry and grow quinoa um, locally down in Dunmore. And I think he actually it actually grew from, I don't think he, he further progressed it, but maybe there's an option there to look at that for some farmers as we transition into a different growing model, you know. So, and you mentioned the wheat there, there's um, a farm, Dunani flower, we sell it here. Um, and it's just, it's, it's, uh, it's just from their farm, you know, it's, it's, it's like most of the, most of the flour you have now is milled and probably blended, but to have a unique flour just from a single farm grown on their farm and milled on their farm is, again, you get a whole different, uh, taste experience. So yeah, it's good. It's all good. What are some of the
2: biggest challenges for you farming in this way?
1: Um, well in the west of Ireland, uh, you've got stones and rain <laughs> unfortunately they're fairly major challenges that's practical stuff on the ground i mean the stone they've broken so many bits of machinery it's, it's now funny but and then the weather has been although the weather has changed and we've seen an absolute shift in the seasons which is mad you know get this mild winter now and then you get um it's just been like this several years in a row now where you get this colder period starting to happen kind of march april may which used to be kind of November December January and there's been a shift I don't know if you guys have noticed, but there's been a shift like
0: mm-hmm.
1: um, the amount of extreme weather we're getting whether it be downfall or drought now or sorry as in downfall of, of rain like downpours or drought is, um, is starting to prove difficult to manage as well but ultimately it's about trying to match what we grow with what people want it still is that so although you're very brave sean and managing the celeriac a lot of people would probably go oh no not celeriac again and and that's a problem because you know we're kind of restricted on what we can grow in different seasons and there is that expectation say in december that you can still have irish tomatoes and you just can't like you know mm. it's not possible so, I, so that's a challenge yeah
2: i had that a uh, rather dumb moment i was looking at my seed catalogue, and I've got a little vegetable growers kind of calendar. Um, And I was thinking, what can I grow in December? And it was saying, you know, the only suitable vegetables are carrots, um, Brussels sprouts, potatoes, and I was like, well, that's enough to make a Christmas dinner. And <laughs> uh, I, I, <laughs> I was like, I can't believe I, like, you know, that's how this connected. And I feel like I'm fairly well, well connected with the land. Yeah,
1: well, that's, that's, again, I've said this so many years, but the Christmas dinner is the epitome of an Irish local dinner. Yeah. If you think about it. You've got potatoes, carrots, parsnips, sprouts, broccoli, probably not so much, but all of those things, they it's, all thrive. It's the only thing that yeah. grows in the Yeah, middle. yeah. So, and, uh, And the taste i mean again when you have fresh carrots as opposed to imported ones just
0: just very different you know it's very different absolutely so yeah but all that said now you know the 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 rain and the the stones there's a young couple somewhere in england disillusioned with pharma (laughs) they're thinking like coming to the west to start an organic farm what advice have you got for them
1: well i tell you the one thing the one thing i'd say is um you're going to have plenty of people. And I remember it here when we came over first. Two things actually. One was our neighbor, and he came, can't do this without Roundup, basically. And that was like, that's great. You need somebody to tell you that because then you're going to spur you on to make sure that you prove them wrong. And the second thing was we had the police out here in the, the guardy, because we had the tunnels, you know, and they were just kind of very curious about why some strange people from England had come over and they had tunnels up and what were they growing in the tunnels? So there was all <laughs> yeah. sorts of investigations going on. And with um, oh, really? Yeah, yeah, exactly. So there was a bit of a, a bit of that happening. But, you know, I mean, small plot of land, local outlet. If you can have that connection, then you can make it work. Um, and definitely don't be trying to get too big too fast because that's a recipe for disaster so it is but small scale and love you have to love it because if you don't love it you won't get through it you really won't it's too hard not to do not to love it that's the advice I think
0: well you're you know you're part of the solution Gannett you're help us get our uh Carbon emissions or biodiversity emissions, all one go and
2: uh, improve the health of yeah. Yeah. our patients. Yeah. Our water, our soil, our air quality. That's well, not that the list of positive benefits? It's, it's, it's so long. It's unbelievable. Yeah. It
1: just it seems so simple. I don't know why it has to be so complicated. <laughs> <but> it's <not.
2: laughs> so it absolutely. Oh, well, thank you so much for talking to us. Fantastic. Well, thanks, guys. It
1: was a real pleasure. And I'm delighted to see somebody in your position doing something like this. This is so inspiring for me as well. see two doctors really interested in this. So thank you, guys. Thanks the
0: million. No worries. Thanks for your hospitality. And, uh, and thanks for the tea. Yeah. <laughs> hey, you're welcome. That's lovely. Uh,